Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Hey, Mission Church, welcome back. Uh, I'm going to preach for about 15 minutes, and then we're going to receive communion. hope that sounds good. The title of my message today is The Servant is Born. The Servant. Not just any servant. The Servant. Now, I love Christmas because it makes us ask this question, who is this Jesus? Now, if you don't know who Napoleon Bonaparte is, he's one of the greatest generals, empire uh, builders ever to live, conquering most of Europe. Uh, And here's what he said when people asked him who Jesus is. He goes, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. I love that. There isn't even a, a, a touch. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this very hour, millions today now, billions of men will die for him. He was asked that question because there was this man who was born in a manger that was fully God and fully man, and he changed the world. But he did not change it through sheer force. He changed it through not acquiring things. He did not own a house. He lived a life of servitude. A servant was born that morning, and a servant that would change the world. And Jesus didn't come just to serve, so we'd say, great job serving. But I believe that he came to serve to show us a model that if we want to change the world today, more servants should be born. So i got three quick points today I want to show you is the power of serving, the position of serving, and the price of serving. So my first point is this. We must understand the power of serving. Uh, one of my favorite parts in all the Bible is Mark 10. You're going to see it right here on the screen. Let me read it to you. Uh, this is when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us... Uh, a favor, basically. We want you to do whatever we ask. And he goes, what do you want me to do for you, asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other one sit at your left in your glory. These men desired greatness. They desired a place of position. And Jesus sees the perfect opportunity to show them the power of servitude. They understand the power of worldly authority, but they have no idea about the force of serving, the power of serving. So, so here's what he says. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you uh, drink a cup? Uh, I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they became indignant. They were confused, basically. Uh, With James and John, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He goes, you know how the world does stuff. They do it through fear. They do it through power. They do it through manipulation. They do it through money. The way the world tries to expand their influence is through worldly power. He goes, you get that. And here's what he says, not so with us. He goes, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great... You must be uh, your servant. Who wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He just told us why he was born in that major right there, to give his life for a ransom, to serve in that way. You see the three points of my message as, as it finishes. Let me read it to you real quick. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you 
must be your servant. So the first thing he says, to become great, you need to understand the power of serving. Secondly, he shows, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. He shows us the position of a servant. We must see ourselves as a slave, as a servant to all. And then he shows us the price of it in that, that last verse. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He shows the price of serving. Those three things right there. So the first thing I want to show you is the power of serving, the power of serving. Rachel and I, before we moved to the Bay Area, we lived in L.A., and I always heard about this hotel in L.A. It's called the Magic Hotel. It was ranked in the top five hotels in all of Southern California year after year. And I'll never forget driving by it for the first time. The things I heard about it, I thought it was going to look like a palace. I thought it was going to be this like crystal cathedral of just beauty. And I remember driving by and somebody saying, hey, there's the Magic Hotel. And I said, no, that can't be the Magic Hotel. It looks like an old apartment building. Like it looks like my apartment building I live in right now. How in the world is that apartment building looking hotel top five every year in Southern California? So it, it made me uh, intrigued. And I, I said, I got to figure this out. And I remember even reading a book that was bragging about it. And basically, if you stay at the Magic Hotel, nobody brags about the way it looks. They brag about the experience they have inside those rooms and inside those uh, pool areas and the entertainment areas and the fun areas for the kids. So let me just give you a couple examples of what happens when you go to the Magic Hotel. So if you have kids... And you're by the pool, they have these little red phones throughout the pool area. And those red phones are for the kids. They're called the popsicle hotline. And if your kid wants a popsicle because it's hot out, they have Otter Pops on call 24-7. So the kid picks up the thing and just says, I want an Otter Pop. And then within minutes, a servant dressed to the nines with white gloves and a silver tray walks out to this little kid and serves them an Otter Pop. Any color of choice, as many as they want. And can you imagine a kid like having this servant come out with white gloves and say, here you go, good sir. And the little kid going, thank you. And just walking away. You're not going to forget that because what is happening is Magic Hotel has trained their employees to serve everybody like the royalty. If you're a parent and you have dirty laundry, you just drop it off. You tell them, hey, we got dirty laundry. They come up, they grab it. And when they return it, they return it folded and wrapped perfectly in lavender scented paper like it's a brand new piece of clothes. They have thought about every single way how to serve each person like it's royalty. Now, I want you to hear something real quick. Throughout Mark 10, Jesus is saying, I can show you the power of servitude. And the word he uses is diakonos. And diakonos is the Greek word for serving at the highest level. Just like there's different levels of love, well, there's different levels of serving. And the highest level of serving in Greek is diakonos. It would be reserved for the person who is in the palace that would see themselves as a slave to the king or queen and princess and says, whatever their need is, I will meet it and I will meet it with the greatest attitude and I will give them the best um, presentation of anything they ever want. They want a glass, I'll give them the best glass. They want a drink, I'm gonna give them the best drink. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to change this world, you must see yourself as a slave to all and present to them the gospel in a way that would be like a white-gloved silver tray experience. We don't come at them with force and we don't come out, you better listen to this. We need to serve them like the royalty. The way we treat people, Jesus is saying, is going to change the world. The world, the world uses money, the world uses power, Here's what we're going to use to change the world, disciples. We're going to treat them kindly. We're going to treat them like they have value. We're going to treat them like they are the most priceless people on the planet. And if you do that, you will change the world. The first thing we need to understand, Mission Church, that Jesus showed us as he was on this earth as fully man and fully God, is he showed us the power of serving someone. The power of not serving somebody like, hey, here's a drink. Hey, here's a can of soda. But really serving their need and meeting it with the care and the, uh, the excellence that makes them go, man, I want to come back to that place. 
Magic Hotel, people who stay there once are coming back all the time because they experience something they can experience nowhere else. I'll say this, and I'm gonna finish with this thought, is when people are thinking about making a great church, a lot of the time we fall in this trap. If we can just have the best building, we'll have the best church. If we can just get the best facility, we'll have the best church. No, no, if we can raise up the best servants, we'll have the best church. If we could fill this building with the greatest servants, with that diakono spirit, then we can have a great church. We could have the ugliest building, but you give me great servants, we're gonna change the Bay Area. I'm asking you today, pray about it. Say, man, Lord, I wanna be that kind of servant. Does that sound good? Second point I wanna show you is this. We see the power of servitude through Jesus', uh, Jesus teaching, but now he's gonna model it in John 13. He shows us the position of serving. So um, they're hanging out, they're having a meal, and here's what it says in John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to portray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given authority over everything, and they had come from God and would return to God. I just love that little touch. Jesus knew he had all authority. He could do anything he wanted, and here's what he decided to do with all the authority that all the universe had to offer. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Can I just tell you real quick what that signifies? A slave, a servant of that time who worked at a house would be dressed like that. They would have a towel around their waist. Just like, so Jesus is literally dressing up for the role, if you will. And if you are gonna be the one that washes feet in a house, you need to know something. It is the lowest and the grossest position you can have as a servant. If you are a servant in a house, the job that you wanna be promoted from is foot washer. There are other jobs, you can get food, you can take care of this part of the house, this part of the property, but the one job you don't want is the foot washer. It is the lowest job and the grossest job. There were not like Nike Air sneakers, there weren't Air Jordans back then, there weren't Gucci slippers, there were flip-flops, and you would walk everywhere and your feet were disgusting, and each day you'd walk in, you'd have a servant wash your feet, and it was just this, almost felt like a demeaning job in that culture. It was the most demeaning job that you could have, washing somebody's feet. And Jesus sets the stage, and the disciples know what's happening. They know culture well, they know this is the lowest and the grossest job, it's the smallest job you could say yes to, and here's what happens. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's like, you can't do this. Like, like Jesus, don't, what's going on right now? And Jesus says this, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, cannot take the lowest and the grossest job this world has to offer. You cannot leave the throne and then take the bottom of the barrel job here on earth. Peter is protesting because he doesn't understand yet the position of a servant. And Jesus is modeling, if you're gonna do what I'm gonna do, if we're gonna change the world, you have to be quick to say yes to the lowest and the grossest jobs in your region. And so Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. <laughs> I love that. The Bay Area will never feel like we're a part of them until we serve them. Until we serve the Bay Area, They'll never think of us as actually a church. They'll think of us as some country club place that has self-centered consumers instead of self-sacrificing servants. But when, when, what Jesus says here is says, when you start to serve people, they become a part of your life. When you start to lay your life down for people, they start to be, get intertwined in your life. There starts to become a knitting, if you will. So he says, uh, you'll become mine. Simon Peter is saying, then wash my hands and my heads as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to be washed except for their feet 
to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since you are Lord and teacher, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash others' feet too. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves. Uh, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Stop. I think about my dad uh, when I was a young boy, my grandparents got really sick. And my dad loved his, uh, his mom so much. Um, and his stepdad he loved too. Uh, they moved over uh, from England. And uh, my grandma and grandpa got sick at the same time. And uh, my dad's very family oriented. Like he only wants to hang out with family. He loves family. And so I remember when my grandma and grandpa got sick, uh, they didn't want to move into a home. And so for about a year, every single day, me and my dad would get in his car. He'd, he always wanted me to come with him. So it'd be after school. It wasn't during school time. It'd be just during the day. But we would go over to my grandparents' house, which lived about 25 minutes away from us. We would drive to Lakewood, Washington. And my dad would walk in the house. And my granny had a catheter. And he would change her catheter for her. My grandpa had a bedpan. And he would empty the bedpan. He would uh, get the bedroom all ready, get their food ready for him, see anything else they would do. I would... At this time, what I would do is I would sneak into their fridge because they had these two types of cheeses I loved every time, and I would sneak their cheese and eat their cheese. That was my contribution to the day. Um, and I'd go play in the backyard. And I remember as a young kid being confused on, Dad, why would you do this? Like, you're emptying a bedpan. Like, that's like the grossest. I, I can't imagine like emptying a toilet for somebody. I can't imagine changing a catheter for somebody. And, and I started to understand it as I got older. When you love somebody, you take care of them when they're ill. When, when somebody is sick and when somebody needs to be served, it's not even a question. When, when I'm sick, Rachel's quick to like, what do you need? Stay in bed. When, when Rachel's sick, I'm quick to help. Now, can you picture this relationally with a city? When a city falls ill, when a city gets sick, Christians are not to point at it and be grossed out by it. Let's just be honest. We live in the Bay Area and everybody talks about how gross San Francisco is right now. And they point at it and mock at it. They talk about the Bay Area and how gross it is here and how sick it is here now. And Christians are not supposed to join in with pointing and being grossed out. We are supposed to take the lowest and the grossest job and say, I'm going to care for what is sick. I'm going to serve what is sick. I'm going to take the lowest and the grossest positions and I'm going to serve an area because I love it. And I'm going to nurse the Bay Area back to health. There's something to be said about somebody who understands the opportunity in front of them, walking to an office space, a Starbucks, or walking down the street in Walnut Creek or wherever city you're in, and just saying, my eyes are open to the smallest job, God. The smallest job that people say no to, I'll say yes to it. I'm gonna take care of this city. I'm gonna pick up garbage on the sidewalk even because I'm gonna take the lowest and the grossest jobs just to take care of your home because Lord, you sent me to be a servant. Mission Church, we will change the Bay Area if we'll say yes to jobs like that. The glamorous things of this world that it offers will only give you a position. But if you say yes to actually the mission of God, it will give you a voice in this area, a voice in people's lives, and it will change everything. Amen? All right, last one. Uh, so we see the, the position he tells us to take. Um, I have this quote. I'll just say one more quote with my last point. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. <laughs> I remember hearing that. But man, that really is so true. Wouldn't you agree? If you're too big to serve in those areas, we'll never lead anybody to Jesus. But if you can be big enough to serve, woo, you're gonna start having a voice with people. 
Oh, I pray we get a voice of people this next season. And last but not least, we must understand the price of serving. So we talk about the power of serving, the position of serving. Let's talk about the price of serving. Luke 22, it's uh, the, the great Passover meal. Uh, it's very famous. And let's just read it together and unpack three things I really want you to catch today. Uh, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its uh, meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Stop. You need to understand right now, he is setting the stage. They're having dinner. He grabs bread to represent his body. He grabs a glass of wine to represent his blood, which is going to be the price for our salvation. And he starts to unpack the, the, the meaning of it, the importance of it, the promises connected to it. And I, I want to I highlight three things that if you read all the Passover stories, if you read all the teachings on communion, you'll find these three truths in communion. The first truth you're going to find in communion is that communion is relational. It's relational. There is a difference between sonship and fellowship. And what Jesus is saying throughout this whole teaching in Passover, he's saying, hey, when I leave, you are my sons, you are my daughters. But a son and daughter, they can drift away and still be a son and daughter, but have no intimacy and have no relationship with their father. Communion is gonna guard our relationship. It's gonna remind you that I'm the only one that can wash things that nobody else can wash. It's gonna remind you that I can only fix things that nobody else can fix. It's gonna remind you that I am the great redeemer, the great savior, the great father, the, the great everything. And if you drift away from that, you'll be a distant son that gets none of the benefits. But when you have fellowship, you'll get all the benefits. And so what he's saying through communion is, don't forget communion is relational. That when you receive this promise, you're receiving the relational promise that you have a father that will never leave you nor forsake you. Second thing we see in communion is communion is spiritual. It's spiritual. If you read in the book of Corinthians, uh, they made communion more of just a party and they got really cavalier with it. Uh, they started um, having communion at parties to where they'd even get drunk and then start just partying hard. And Paul comes in and goes, you guys have no idea what's happening right now. You have taken communion and you've made it worldly. This is not a worldly thing we're doing. It's a spiritual thing we're doing. And if you continue down this road, it will spiritually kill you and eventually physically kill you, he says. And what he's saying for us to understand is that there is a spiritual dynamic when you receive the bread and receive the cup. So he goes on to say, I need you to take this spiritual principle every time you receive communion. You need to repent. You need to repent. And what repentance is, is it's you turning away from something that you have been doing that you shouldn't be doing. All it is is it's you've missed the mark. So you repent of self-righteousness, repent of pride, repent of apathy, repent of whatever it is that just bubbles. Man, I've been, I've been angry lately. I've been selfish lately. You repent of it. So that's the first part of repentance. But the second part is just important. You're turning to receive something. So you're turning away from something, but you're turning to receive something. So, so this is spiritual this moment. You're going to give up worldly stuff that's bogging you down. And then during communion, you're going to re repent and you're going to receive heavenly stuff that's going to propel you and bless you. Every time you receive communion, you better repent because it is a gift to you and it's a gift to your soul. So he shows that communion is spiritual. So it's, it's, it's almost a soul care moment. Your soul is maybe weary and tired. This is such a good thing for your soul. And last but not least, communion is beneficial. Oh, it's beneficial. So he shows it's relational. He shows that it's spiritual and he shows it's beneficial. There are so many promises connected to communion. 
It's not something where you just take it real quick and you're done with it. I, I am, of course, been struggling with a little bit of EOE, and every time I receive communion, and I'm believing with hope and faith, that the promise that comes with the bread, that Jesus literally says that his broken body, that that bread represents his broken body, and with his broken body comes with promise. He was broken so we could be made whole. Every stripe represents, uh, those lashes represent him getting beat, but on the flip side for us now, we get to receive the healing blessings from God. And so when I receive the bread, I claim that promise every time. Lord, I know there's a benefit to this. I know that you didn't just go beat up, got beat up for anything. So God, I claim that promise over my life and I can't wait to celebrate that testimony. And the second part is the greatest benefit ever is what the covenant uh, um, blood represents. I am now in the family, not because of what I did, but what he did. And so I get everything that uh, is promised uh, to uh, Jesus and to all the sons and daughters in the Bible. When you read the New Testament, you'll see all these promises in the epistles, one after another, promises of joy, promises of wholeness, promise of peace, promise of redemption. All of those, the only reason that's possible is because of what this little grape juice cup represents. It's because Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe, but then because all to him we owe, all to everything we receive. Oh, we get to receive anything and everything of heaven if you just be ready to receive it. So here's what's gonna happen. Uh, as you receive communion, uh, you're gonna um, grab your cup, grab your bread, um, and you don't, don't run away real quick. I think maybe some of you run away right now. Pause, stop, double pause. Um, you can leave in a second. We're gonna put a video up, a one-minute countdown so you can grab your stuff. But what's gonna happen is you're gonna grab the cup, you're gonna grab the bread. Uh, if you're by yourself, receive with yourself, you're with your family, receive with your family. Um, but the first thing you need to do is you just need to pray and repent. And then also understand this is a relational moment. If you've been distant from God, what a great moment to get closer to God again. And then after that, receive the promises. Declare some things over your life. Receive it with faith. And then after you receive the bread and the cup as a family and praying, um, the worship team's gonna come up after the slide. They're gonna be singing a worship song while you're receiving it. Just close with a little bit of worship. Celebrate God and then enjoy the rest of your Christmas day. Does that sound good? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.